All right, good morning, Salt City Church. Um, guys, I'm pumped to be here this morning, encouraged to be here this morning. It was a, a little bit of a tough weekend, okay? Brackets not looking good. Um, you know, you pick the Cinderella stories, right? You pick the ones to make it all the way. They lose by about 20, and then you don't pick the right upset. So I, I need this this morning. I need time with the family, okay? So we're, we're jumping back into our series on James. Um, we're just continuing walking through that book, and we're finishing up chapter 3 this morning. So if you want to open up to James 3, we'll be focusing on verses 13 through 18, which say, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so James kicks off this passage with this question. Who is wise and understanding among you? And I think that he asked this question because when he asked that, their response that they have is actually going to be very telling of what they think wisdom is. Okay, there might be some people that raise their hand immediately. Not, not literally because you can't be wise in your own eyes, but in their hearts they might be saying, yeah, that's me. Who's wise and understanding? I check that box. Okay, or there might be people that feel, man, just so they have such a small view of themselves. They're like, no, I can't ever be someone like that. And so their response is going to be telling of what they think about wisdom. And so, so I'll say to you this morning, what do you think about wisdom? What comes to mind when we talk about this topic? What is wisdom to you? Because in chapter 1, verse 5, we see, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously. Like, that's the invitation that we've been brought into. And so, it's, yeah, probably good for us to sit with and think about what is that that we're asking for. Because I think some of us might think, okay, someone who has acquired a ton of knowledge, okay, incredibly well-read, has read all the different books about the different cultural moments that we're in, let's go to this person for the perfect answer that we need to this really hard question. Or, yeah, right now they have the best answer to this cultural moment. Like, who displays the perfect balance of knowing what to say and knowing what not to say? Who in the room can say the right thing to diffuse the tension in any cultural conversation. Or I think when I was like looking at my own life, when I, when I go to God for wisdom, a lot of times it's just like an answer to a really hard question in my life. Or I had this unclear path ahead of me that's kind of this fork in the road. I'm like, God, I have these two options. Can you give me some direction? Can you like maybe nudge me one way or the other? Give me wisdom. I need wisdom. And so a lot of times, wisdom can be this accumulating of knowledge, saying the right thing, or making the right choice in our minds. James has a radically different look at wisdom. And so our first point is true wisdom. Right away, he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. It says nothing about what they're saying. He goes directly to their works. Like, let them show it by their life. And so he doesn't look to the proclamation of knowledge, but by the good conduct that's lived out. 
And so it's not a wisdom that's displayed with a loud voice, but by the works that you live out in your life. Not saying that words don't matter, but if they don't match up with the way that you live, our words fall flat. So if you say it's more of, a, more of a blessing to give than receive, and yet you hold all of your money for your own hobbies and your own possessions that you want, like that's not walking in wisdom. If you say that my time is not my own, I need to serve others, but don't carve out time to serve whether it's your family, your connection group, or people in need around you, that's not true wisdom. And so he says, let them show their wisdom by the way that they live their life. So there's this weight that we're meant to feel that we're supposed to analyze our life, not just the things that come out of our mouth, but our life, and look at our works and say, does it line up? And it's more than that. It's just, it also directs us to the posture that they should have, which is meekness. Okay, we saw this word earlier in this book. And when we hear meekness, I don't think this is like one thing that we are all like clawing after. Like if we could grow in one attribute, meekness, throw a little bit more of that on my plate. Like that's not what we're longing for, okay? But James points out that it is the main display of wisdom. So I think we need to lean into it a little bit more. Drew described it as the strength under control. So meekness can be seen as not fighting for attention. It's not caught up in the waves of emotion when life goes not as planned. It has a steadiness and a humility that showcases incredible strength. And so the flip side of wisdom that we see in James is that it doesn't come from what we proclaim, but what we live out in our life. Okay, so this, this hit me hard as I was studying through this passage, because the first Friday of every month, uh, Salt City has been doing this thing where we're, we're serving alongside one another. Like, we've had enough people show up that they've created their own slot for just Salt City to serve. And so I signed up for this thing, okay? This last one that we did, I signed up for it. And guys, look at this. Salt City showed out. Okay, we've got a room full of people that were willing to give up their time to serve. Okay, here's the thing. You can look through that picture all you want. You won't find me in it, okay? And it's not because I was the one taking the photo. Um, here's what happened. As the day approached, okay, I was tired, you know? I was thinking through my night, and I was like, you know, I, I think I would rather spend my night with Paige and Zeta just kind of hanging out than sharing my life to serve someone else. So guys, took my name off the list, okay? What hit me is though I say, and probably though I've shared with other other ones of you in this room, like, you need to serve your life. You need to spend your life to serve other people because your time is not your own. My heart is saying, no, actually, I think my time should be determined by myself. I think I should live in a way that benefits me. I think I should be the one that determine how my time looks. I think I'd rather hang out with my family. Let's go with that plan. Okay, so this isn't this isn't saying, like, anytime opting out of serving is a wrong thing. There's times in life where it gets busy and it's needed. But here's what I'm saying. In my circumstance, out of the selfishness of my heart, I, I grasped onto my own time and turned away from this opportunity. And so here's what hit me this week. Words that we proclaim of wisdom that don't match up with our life fall flat. Like, James is saying that's not true wisdom at all. 
And so Salt City, if you were to look at the way that you lived your life and the posture of heart that you carry, would it display true wisdom? Next, James is going to show us where we can get wisdom misdirected. Brings us to our second point. Let's look back at verse 14 through 15. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Okay, the wisdom of this world gets something dramatically off. Our wisdom that we can have directs the end goal towards our own gain, our own attention. Like when we try to strive for wisdom, when I try to strive, a lot of times it's look at me. Look at what I know. Look at how much more knowledge I have than the next person. And so it brings up this idea of selfish ambition. Like the drive in your life is for your own benefit, not looking out for others. Or bitter jealousy, this anger that stirs up in your heart. If anyone steals that attention or if someone has an opinion that other people are looking to rather than your own. This ambition directs everything we do. And it comes out in our life in the opposite form of what we see in James 1.19. To be slow to hear, to be quick to speak, to be quick to anger. So someone who is more focused on getting their message across than listening to someone else in the room. Because I, I see this so often, like when someone is sharing something, especially if we're having like a hard conversation, I'm thinking through more what I want to say in return than actually sitting and listening with them. I'm trying to share with them my opinion because it is, of worth, it is worth greater value than theirs. And so where meekness would be strength under control, we can see selfish ambition as pride and outrage. And I think it's easy for us to see this clearly in our culture. But it's very hard for us to see it in ourselves. Why is that? Because I think that we are blinded by the end goal that we're pursuing after. And so we justify the path to get there. Like you look at either side of the debate. Like someone with just anger and frustration in their heart. Like why aren't they wearing a mask? Like don't they know that that's the most loving way to care for people? Like don't they care for people? Or why would someone force me to wear a mask? Like, don't they know that I want to have a freedom of choice in this situation? Like, don't they care about my choice in this? And so it can come out as like, why can't people just agree with my thinking? And so both of these have a good end goal. Okay, we're looking at things like love, freedom, unity amongst people. But what we have done is that we have fixed our eyes on the good end goal that we see, and we have now justified any means of getting to that end goal, whether that's helpful or harmful. And so to, the, to get to that end goal, that is a very good thing. It doesn't matter how I say it. I can make you feel small. I can be harsh with you. I can completely cut you out of my life. Can't you see that what I'm fighting for is a good thing? So we say with our lives, here's the end goal. It doesn't matter how I act in order to get there. And what this does is it causes us to take our eyes completely off our heart. 
completely off of like looking in and seeing what's flawed in our own selves in these conversations. Because we justify our actions by this morally good end goal that we have in our minds. James would say that is absolutely foolish. Like the posture of your heart has everything to say with what the end goal is going to be. If we were to take our eyes off of that, we won't see the end goal that we actually want. He draws our eyes back to our heart to see what is true about selfish ambition. Okay, so if we look next in the text, it says that this heart of selfish ambition, that it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Okay, coming off pretty strong here. And so he, he lays that out, and it's strong words that we need to feel. Like, what he's saying is that that heart posture is more closely aligned with this world, with the flesh, and with Satan than it is God. He's fixing our eyes to see how big of an impact this type of heart can, can make on the world around us. And so he lays out what's true about this wisdom, but he also lays out what the true end result is. So he's basically saying, okay, your goal is for the good of others and for the freedom of choice for people to have. Okay, that's great. Here's the actual end result. Let's keep reading in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Literally, absolute chaos and evil is what he's saying. Like chaos in your relationships, chaos in how you carry your emotions, chaos because you're not going to see the end result that you actually want to see. Every form of evil. He's saying that every... Every form of evil that we see play out in this world comes from this heart of selfish ambition. So he's causing us to see, like, no, stop and see what is actually happening. It's, it leads to a greater experience of tension and bitterness and division and anger because it has no ability to lead towards order or harmony, but only disorder. Why? Because you are not where you are supposed to direct your ambition. Like, we were all made with an ambition that was solely meant to be directed towards God. And so when we direct it in the opposite way at ourselves, or when we direct our ambition at anything other than Christ, it leads to absolute chaos. Okay, you know what is a great time, something that I love doing? Bowling, okay? Um, I love going bowling with a group of people. You know, every guy's trying to show their lane speed record that they have. Um, you know, proving themselves on the bowling lanes. I also had a very weird phase freshman year of high school where I had the glove, I had, I had everything. Um, it's unfortunate. But here's the thing. You get a group of people. You're all hanging out on the seats, and someone goes up. They roll the ball down the lane. They hit some pins, hopefully. You know, that's how you're supposed to do it. It's a great time. You know what wouldn't be a great time? If someone grabbed their ball, went towards the lanes, and then turned around, and chuck that thing as hard as they could back the opposite direction, okay? That's going to lead to absolute chaos. Why? Because there's people there, okay? Not pins. So that is not how bowling was designed. Here is what this text is showing us. Our ambition in life was never meant to be directed at ourselves. Our ambition in life was solely meant to be directed at Christ. And if our ambition is directed at anything other than him, 
it will lead to chaos in the world. James is telling us not to be fooled by our passion for seemingly good things that is fought from a selfish heart. Like, do not boast and be false to the truth, telling people that you're a wise person. Like, who are you trying to kid? Salt said, here is the application from this. Be careful of anything that you get passionate about outside of Christ. We can often take good things and make them ultimate things and make them things that we say, my way or the highway, you better copy and paste what I think. And on this topic, it's very easy for us to think about people out there. Even as I was reading through this text, that my mind is going to other people in my life that I want to think about. And, but I think James is wanting us to analyze the heart of the person in your seat this morning. Like, do you see this heart posture present in your life? Like, what is the internal dialogue going on in your heart and mind as you're sitting across from someone that disagrees with you? He's zeroing us in on not just what we are fighting for, but how we are fighting for it. And he also wants us to know that we have been welcomed into a far more beautiful wisdom. And that's the wisdom from above. Let's look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So true wisdom is first pure, completely unstained from the world. And I think when we, we look at this list, we're like, yes, 100% agree. I love everything on that list. And we, we long for that to be what is present in this community. And I think if we were to look at the flip side of every single one of those, we feel that way even more. So if we look at pure, polluted, peaceable, aggravating, gentle, harsh, open to reason, closed-minded, full of mercy, selfishness, good fruits, sinful desire, impartial, showing favoritism, sincere deceitful. Okay, so there's one obvious list there that we're like, yes, I want that to be present in my life. I want that to be present in this community. But why do we find ourselves going after the other one so often? Why do we see that being the list that actually plays out in our life? I think it's because we don't really believe that the wisdom from above will work as quickly as we want it to. Like in our minds, the worldly wisdom is more likely to bring about the immediate change than we want. Okay, example. Why would I ever be short with or raise my voice to my wife, Paige? It's because in that moment, I think it will bring about the change that I want. Okay, here's the thing. I'm never going to verbalize that as wisdom. Don't think you'll hear about that at the marriage conference next weekend. But in that moment... It's like, I know if I do this, it might end this tough conversation that we're in. It might get my point across. And it, it might get my point across. But no one is applauding me saying, hey, Drake, you're crushing it in your marriage right now. Okay? No, it like leads to absolute brokenness. And we have seen this in every side of our culture. Like if I fire back. If I proclaim it louder than the other person, if I make them look foolish, I might see, see the change that I hope for. But as we saw earlier, 
it actually never leads to the change that we want. It only leads to chaos and disorder. Because there's one huge piece missing from the equation. Okay, guys, this uh, very wise older man, Ray Ortland, had this incredible tweet. Um, if you want a, a good follow, Ray Ortland, a lot of good things to say. He had this tweet that says, cruelty, so receiving cruelty plus retaliation in response leads to utter defeat for all involved. At some point, the victim must say the cycle stops here, now, with me, even if I'm the only one taking this stand. Not that this works, but nothing else works. This is the only way God gets involved. So let me break this down a little bit. He is saying that if the response to cruelty is retaliation, it just leads to utter brokenness for everyone. Okay, Every form of evil, as we see in this text, at some point, someone needs to take the way of the cross. Someone needs to take the way of sacrifice and love and peace. Not that this might accomplish everything that we hope it will in the given moment. But he's saying nothing else will. The way of the cross is the only way that God gets involved. So I said, here's the amazing thing for us in Christ. We get to live in such a way that God gets involved. Like, we're not stuck in the patterns of wisdom of the world. We actually are invited into living like Christ because we know the amazing story that wisdom, there isn't just this wisdom from above, but wisdom actually came down from above. That Jesus lived out wisdom perfectly, like throughout his entire life, always being gentle with people he came into contact with, open to reason with people who aren't like him, basically everyone on earth, uh, not showing favoritism to people who could bring societal gain to him, and silent as he was being accused of a criminal when he could have defended himself. In every circumstance, he lived wisdom out perfectly. And we even see in 1 Corinthians one twenty four. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So Christ himself is the very wisdom of God. And since he came down, he now offers us that same wisdom that we get to walk in. Like Christ entering your heart means that you are able to operate out of that wisdom now. So when you're in that conversation, you can actually respond in gentleness. You can actually respond in a peaceable heart because Christ is in you. You're not stuck in the patterns of this world. You've been invited to pursue something so far greater. So let's look back at the invitation that we saw in James 1. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Okay, here's the invitation. When you are coming before God asking for wisdom, you're not just asking for an answer to a problem that you have in your life. You're not just asking, asking for direction to some unclear fork in the road. You're asking for more of Christ. Like you're saying, God, I want your wisdom. Christ, I want more of you. Like I want more of your heart to be played out in my life in this moment. I don't just want an answer. I actually want your heart posture to be played out in this time of suffering, in this time of unclarity. Guys, that is so far greater than any one answer we could ever ask for. That we get more of Christ himself 
played out in our lives. And as we go to Christ, only then will we see his heart played out in the world. Like that end goal that we all want, whether it be love or unity, only when we go to his wisdom will we see it played out in the world around us. So, so one thing that I love when I came up to Minneapolis, it's about a year and a half ago that my wife and I moved up here, is the amount of coffee shops that are up here. I've tried out most of them. I know that's a big statement, but I think most of them. And my easy favorite is Dogwood. Okay, we can, we can battle all day about that, but Dogwood is my favorite coffee shop. Here's the thing. If I want an amazing cup of Dogwood coffee, where am I going? Spy House? No. I'm going to go to Dogwood. Crazy, right? Okay? Here is the utter simplicity that James is trying to get across in this text. If you want to see the heart of God played out in this world, you don't go to the wisdom of this world to find that. No, you go to the wisdom of God in order to see his heart played out in this community, in the world around us. The call for us as Christians is not to make change by our, our words that we shout, but to choose the slow and steady game of just continuing to show up day after day, pursuing after the long game of love and peace in every relationship that we come into contact with. This is the glorious life that Christ has welcomed us into, and this is the glorious life that he wants to use to change the community around us. Where it might be hard for us to pursue after the path of love and sacrifice, because we are dying to ourselves, and we might not see the change that we want. We might actually get more backlash. Okay, if we look at Christ, it's an easy display that that's what happens. When you live out this way, we also see that it's the only route that leads to the world that we want to see happen. So Salt City, what is the relationship that you need to fight for this in? What's the hard conversation that you need to remember? What is true wisdom and what would it look like to be carried out in this conversation? Christ is welcoming us to join him in changing the world around us. Let's look at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he's saying planting Seeds of peace in this world is what is going to bring about righteousness. So us walking in the wisdom of Christ brings about his righteousness in the world. Not forcing our opinion, but living out in a peaceful posture as we communicate with people. He's saying you want to see unity, you want to see freedom, you want to see love take place in this world. Walk in the wisdom of Christ that he showcased to us by coming down to this world and living amongst us, we now have access to that. So let's be a people who are asking for more and more of Christ as we seek to display him to a watching world. Let's pray. Father, I feel this in my own heart, just the need for your wisdom, the need for the wisdom from above to change me more and more. God, I think about different conversations that have come up. I think about different relationships in my life that I'm quick to accuse them without looking into my own heart. And God, I, I, 
I want to be convicted of that, and I want to bring that before you because you came and died so that we might walk in this new reality. Jesus, help this group of people, help this family to be a family that is so different from the world around us that people would look in on us and see something that has changed our life dramatically. Jesus, we need you to do that. Help us instead of pursuing after the knee-jerk reaction of our heart to look more like this world in our wisdom. Help us to cling to you. Because, God, we want to see more of you taking place in this city, on our campus, and in this world. So, Jesus, I just pray that you'd just make us humble people, that you'd make us people that come before you in utter dependence because we realize how greatly we need you and that our ambition would not be directed in at ourselves, but we would turn it around to where it's supposed to go, to you and you alone. God, we need you, and we thank you that you are here with us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.